0: Hello, remember me? I'm Stilgerian, and it's been more than three months since the last episode of this podcast. Uh, That sounds a bit too much like an AA meeting, doesn't it? Let's do this properly. Uh, Let me grab the computer, chick. Oink. The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, a certain sense of fatalism, and adult themes. Sunday, the 15th of October 2023. Yes, after too long a gap over winter, sorry, uh, the Edict is back with a six episode spring series. I've already locked in some great guests. I'll tell you about them in due course. But this is a solo episode, just me getting quite reflective. So let's get on with it. Hello, I'm Stilgerian. This is the 9pm aging death and bestiality. (laughs) It is. I'm in a, a bit of a reflective mood tonight. Um, but there's some things I'm not going to talk about today, and, and I think there are good reasons for this. One, the referendum for Australia's Indigenous voice to Parliament. So much about that already. I have nothing to add. Not that's new, anyway. Uh, the war between Israel and Gaza. I'm definitely not going to just kind of riff my own stupid opinions on that, except to note that the other day on the website formerly known as Twitter, one of the trending topics in Australia with 118,000 posts at the time I looked at it was Israel, I-S-R-E-A-L. Yes, Australians are so concerned and so eager to get their opinions about Israel in the socials, they can't even spell it. I'm not going to talk about the election result in New Zealand. I'm not going to mention Peter Dutton, and I'm not going to mention Donald Trump, which is a rarity, except to note that the other day, not the other day, yesterday, Saturday, The Guardian's Catherine Murphy ran the following headline, Peter Dutton is Australia's figurehead of fear and fake news, like Trump, but without the charisma. So with that out of the way, um, I want to start by talking about the Opal card, which is Sydney's public transport payment system. It's basically the same thing as London's Oyster card, hello to my English friends, and Hong Kong's um, Octopus card, hello to my Canto friends. Except there the similarity ends. It's the same technology, but it's a different business structure. Right, because Opal allows you to travel not just you know around the Sydney rail system but all the way north to Newcastle and the Hunter Valley, south to Wollongong and beyond, and inland over the Blue Mountains all the way to Lithgow. Now, that's a distance of about 150 kilometers to Sydney to Lithgow, about the same city in Newcastle. In both cases, by rail, it's actually a little bit over that because of the bends and Victorian era curves and gradients and whatever. And this came up because the other day I was doing my bit for uh, the Blue Mountains tourism industry. Uh, Please go and visit the Blue Mountains. Um, um, We're waiting for all of the big package tours from China to come back. But, uh, uh, look, it's, you know, it's an accessible day trip from Sydney and there's there's food and beers and, you know, wines and shit to look at. Scenery Mountains apparently um, And that's a lovely thing Anyway, I was uh, sitting as I am sometimes want to do In the old Citibank Hotel uh, And at the next table There happened to be a couple from the UK um, um, You know, boomers Older people um, uh, She was from Newcastle She was a Geordie we, we got into that by guessing accents I'm so bad at English accents And he was originally from Norfolk So, you know that explains anything. Anyway, we got we got talking, and they were in Australia for a month doing the tourist thing, um, and they were amazed uh, that on Opal they could travel all the way from from Sydney to their namesake town Newcastle um, on a plastic card, and they thought that was pretty cool. Now, admittedly, you know as we discussed, it's a shit train. There's no food. It takes fucking forever. There's a reason that uh, my friend Marcus Westbury. Uh, the arts um, manager and organizer calls it the shitkansen, but they were they were thrilled at least that they could go from Sydney to Australia's um, Newcastle, 150 kilometres plus, uh, just by waving a card. Now, uh, to put that in context, it's about the distance from London to Birmingham. Halfway across fucking England, and there you have to book tickets now. Immediately, admittedly, you know the train is is obviously better. Anyway, they they were really enjoying their Opal card, uh, and they they thought it's really not the same as London's Oyster because that only works in London, and they were happy. They didn't like London. In fact, they really did not like London. Why? Why would they? I don't know. I've not been to London. I've not been to the UK. And I like Opal too. It really is convenient. It just works. Uh, sorry, Melbourne people, but your Mikey system is just ridiculous. Like they expire. Why does a Mikey card expire? And then you have to do- anyway. Anyway, I'm I'm thrilled with Opal card, and I'm really thrilled now because now I'm allowed to travel anywhere on that entire opal network, 150 kilometres up, 150 kilometres down, 150 kilometres in, for a maximum of $2.50 a day, brackets Australian. Yes, I have a gold opal, which are opals, gold opals or opals? Anyway, that's lovely. Uh, but this card came with a, with a terrible piece of data because written on the front, it says senior slash pensioner. Yeah, the <laughs> the government of New South Wales has decided officially that I'm now an old person. And I kind of fake around that a bit and I mock boomers and things, but, you know, dear Lister, technically, I'm a boomer. I don't have that kind of sociological link with things boomers are meant to be into you know they, they talk about the music that boomers like and you know how they happen there no no it means nothing to me um i certainly don't own any, own any fucking real estate christ i wish i did i'm faking it but anyway according to the government i'm old now the, the rules in new south wales to get a seniors card they come in two versions. When you turn 60, you get one called a senior savers card. And then when you turn 65, you get the full seniors card, which gets you the cheap Opal travel and all of that. Now, you can get the the gold card before 65 if you are working less than 20 hours a week in paid employment, averaged over a year. And I certainly am. Um, I, I kind of hint at my health problems sometimes. They relate to sleep, they relate to other things, they relate to medications and things. But, yeah, I, 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 do, I do some good work, but it's certainly not 20 hours of billable time a week. Uh, uh, I'll, maybe I might tell you about my clients a bit later. As I say, this is a very reflective podcast this time, coming back to it after a gap. So, anyway, I, I magically get the cheap card. There is, of course, a drama with me with a mononym, a single given name, actually getting the card. Uh, I'll tell you about that a bit later. But all this did get me thinking about ageing and mortality and stuff, because here it is. The government now officially says you're old, you're a senior, even though having you know turned a bit over 60, I've probably got a good 25 years left in me. Yeah, that's the third set of 25 years like middle age is the middle 25 years all right and youth youth is the first 25 years ish whatever I, I do sometimes wonder whether these these categorizations are correct now but certainly when people uh you know half a century ago um, would, would be getting old and retired you know they were probably going to be dead within a few years because they were worked out in the factory or you know sniffing glue or whatever it is old people did back then um but but now people live longer i'm happy to say that i seem to have inherited a lot of my mother's genetics she uh lived until she was a couple of months short of 90 years old which for a woman born i don't know you did the maths i can't do it but a while back that's quite good as she got older she looked younger than she was um, I've certainly got those genetics. I'm often still read as significantly younger than I am, so I'm happy with that. Although, <laughs> although I'm really, really amazed at at the, the set the, the African guy who I ran into on a train recently. We got talking and you know, he was whatever age he was, I can't remember. And he, he thought I was like in my thirties. And I thought, man, man, no, no, I I'm not. Look, I'm happy with that, obviously, because we're all meant to look young, aren't we? We're all meant to, you know, forever look for the youth, Uh, you know, the seven signs of ageing. I don't even know what they are. Um, So I'm happy with all of that. But what I didn't need was a certain comment from David Mitchell, the comedian, not the novelist. You know, David Mitchell, most people know from Peep Show, uh, the the sitcom with with his long uh, uh, term uh, professional partner Robert Webb, um, and of course he's now a regular on the the British uh, TV you know game show panel show circuit, which which is a thing now. And I caught him actually before I go on about that Peep Show. It began. 20 years ago 2003 I have watched it all recently Uh, I think the ABC still has it up on iView and uh, yeah it still holds up very well done but of course you know that ran I think for what 13 seasons or something and by the end of it they're getting ridiculously too old to be playing those characters but whatever anyway David Mitchell has yet another book out. It's called Unruly, A History of England's Kings and Queens, or at least from Arthur to Elizabeth I. Um, and he was, you know, he's doing the podcast circuit, talking about it, and he was on uh, Richard Herring's podcast, the Rahulastapa, the Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Um, anyway, look, look, it's worth listening to, I suppose. It's, a, it's an entertaining conversation. It's David Mitchell. Anyway, he said this... There was a good program on Radio 4 about about statistics and of saying how basically the elderly nowadays are looked after better really than they have been at any point in history. And yet we feel now that the elderly are in an unfortunate position, care homes are are under pressure, this sort of thing. And, And one of the reasons for that is that now old people have a near monopoly on death and so rather than that, what being old used to represent in the Middle Ages was being a survivor. It represents yes. life. You're someone who cheated death. You weren't one of the many people who died in childhood or in uh, middle age. You're, 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 you know, you are. You represent life now. The notion of being old represents death, and it's obviously it's a side effect of something very good that we have much longer life expectancy. It does mean that all the deaths seem to cluster in, in the older generation. <laughs> Mm. So, so that's an interesting observation, right? And it coincided with a whole bunch of other things that were happening in my life recently. One is that someone I know reasonably well died after a very long illness. It was kind of expected, but, you know, that's that still hits you. There's no need to go into that any further today. I'm fine. But but it is worth noting that as you get older now, more and more of the people you know start dying, which is incredible incredibly fucking inconsiderate of them, but they do. And that affects you. And you start thinking about, well, you know, they're all going and whatever. Another thing is that the other day, I went uh, for a walk through Rockwood Necropolis. Now, I'll come back to that, but you probably know that one of my, my good friends is Snarky Platypus. He was on the last episode of this podcast. Uh, we, we, you know, hang out together and do things. Uh, and we've started going again for long walks just because you know, I need my fitness back or, I'll, you know, I'll die. Um, and the other day we happened to walk through rockwood necropolis on our walk on our walk now that's sydney's big old victorian era cemetery it's actually the largest necropolis city of the dead in the southern hemisphere and it's the largest victorian era cemetery that's still operating in the world it's enormous it's 314 hectares that's uh, 780 acres which is like six times the size of the dairy farm I grew up on. A million people have been interred there. And look, if you get a chance, visit it. Um, you know, it's not morbid. I mean, you look around. I mean, you, you, death is about life or something um, you see around uh, uh, the you know it's divided into different sections in the catholic section you see all the catholic priests and nuns lined up with identical standard issue graves uh, there's a huge chinese section and and chinese adjacent section and, and that's full of big family memorials something which i found weird is some of them have people's names already written on them even though they're still alive it's like here's Here's the memorial, and this is where we'll all be. Uh, there's sections for people killed in wars. Um, you you will see, you know, a grave of three brothers, all of whom killed in World War I in different battles. Uh, there's a big Jewish section, which always surprises me, and I'll explain why in a section, uh, in a in a in a second. But. They're interesting because some of the the graphic design is very like 1930s German 1920s German you know I can't imagine why people came to Australia from Germany in that period um, really you know excellent. Period design, and also, of course, the, there are visitation stones—you um, know, little rocks placed on the Jewish graves. Now, this is something I, I was not hugely familiar with, but this these visitation stones—it's a significant thing in uh, Jewish uh, bereavement practices. You put a small stone uh, when you on the grave when you visit someone as a, an act of remembrance or respect, and there's a whole lot of reasons for this uh it's also you know flowers die whereas stones are forever it also seems to come from a previous pagan practice for want of a better word pagan meaning not people in the book um that the stones will hold the soul down on earth by weighing it down which is kind of a bit weird anyway that that's beautiful to look at and that was new to me well newish to me i knew about it and then I did some more research and I, I found, okay, I'm riffing off this a bit, but I'm originally from Adelaide and Adelaide people have had, in general, far less contact with, with Jews than people of Sydney or Melbourne. And the reason for that is that there's actually very few Jewish people in Adelaide. And I, I found one reference which said, since, even since the 1960s, the entire Jewish population of Adelaide in South Australia has been about 1,200 people. In fact, in more recent censuses, it's under a thousand people. there are fewer than a thousand Jews in Adelaide, so you don't meet many. Uh, I remember, certainly at university, I went to dinner at someone's house or whatever, and they were a Jewish family, and I made some terrible mistakes by helping in the kitchen to clean up after dinner and washing things. and i got I got the utensils mixed up, I did not understand that certain utensils were colour-coded to use for certain kinds of things under kosher cooking rules and whatever. Oops, big oops. Got away with it. I mean, I just didn't know, right? But the end result now, to to rub up against other bits of my life, is that because of that decline in in the Jewish population since the 1960s and through the 70s, by the, the beginning of the 1990s, the old synagogue in Adelaide had become a nightclub. It still is a nightclub. Back in the, the, the start of the '90s, it was, you know a dance club. and Adelaide was pretty, you know important to the house scene and techno scene in Australia, and maybe I'll talk about that another time. But now, of all things, the old synagogue is a queer nightclub called Mary's Poppin. See what they did there, Mary Poppin, Mary's Poppin? Quote, a queer venue run by queer people for, brackets mostly, queer people. And the the lack of Jews of in Adelaide um, it, it, it intrigues me because... Montefiore Hill, which is the hill in North Adelaide overlooking the city, and William Light, who who was the the uh, surveyor who laid out the city, there's a statue of him pointing down over the city and so on. That that hill is called Montefiore Hill, and Jacob Barrow Montefiore, who it's named after, was a member of the South Australian Colonisation Commission in London, and that was the body that was you know meant to oversee the implementation of this new colony in the 1830s. Um, And yet, you know, no real connection there. I don't think many people in Adelaide would even know that Jacob Montefiore was Jewish. What's also intriguing, just here's another South Australia thing, that Montefiore, Jacob Barrow, was son of Eliza Montefiore who owned a sugar plantation in Barbados. Oh, yeah slavery and I want to get the guy who wrote this book on soon but he did some research and found that so many people of the South Australia company which was set up to run the colony under the commission had the money to invest in a new colony in Australia precisely because they'd had slaves on plantations in the Caribbean and then after Britain abolished slavery the slave owners were paid compensation for having their slaves freed, and, and a significant number of them invested that money in the new colony of South Australia. So, Adelaide folks, slavery, founded on the profits of slavery. So much for your new Athens of the South. Oh, where was I? Oh, yes, um, <laughs> Rockwood, Rockwood uh, Necropolis. You do see that in the past, people died much earlier, much greater mix of ages. And of course, the older you go back to look at the graves, um, the more young people you see, kids dying young, uh, mothers clearly dying in childbirth because they're buried in the same grave as, as the child they were in the process of giving birth to and so on. And that that did hit me as we we wandered around there on on a beautiful sunny day just a couple of weeks ago. And to take me back to David Mitchell's comment, though, yeah, 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 the government is now telling me that I'm officially old, but that just means I'm a survivor. I've seen some fucking shit, dear listener, so show me some fucking respect. I'd, I'd play the song about that, but I'd, I don't have the rights. Uh, all, all that was a bit too serious, wasn't it? Look, I'm I'm sorry if you're new to this podcast. I I do normally ask around a lot more, and and it, it's a lot funnier. Um, I I have just been in this reflective mood the last few weeks. Uh, anyway. I saw on Blue Sky, um, yeah, I, well, finger in the place. I'll come back to this thing I saw. I used to link to Twitter as it was all the time for all the things I mentioned. I am using the website now known as X far, far less than I used to. I'm now doing most of my stream of consciousness stuff and everyday chat. On uh, Blue Sky and on Mastodon to a, a lesser extent, you find the links on my website at stillgarian.com or go to the 9pmedic.com. You'll you'll find all that. If you want to get into Blue Sky, they're still doing invite codes. Um, so if you want one, let me know. I'll send you one as I get them. Um, I'm working through them. Um, yeah, a lot less stuff is happening on Twitter now for me, and I, I'm pretty sure that once it gets to about Christmas, the end of the year, I'll just uh, shut it all down. It's a shame. Fifteen years. It's been an interesting decade and a half. Anyway, over on Blue Sky, uh, Glenn White uh, said that um, if you see disturbing or traumatic images, apparently one of the be- what, something good to do is immediately play Tetris. It helps the brain cleanse itself, he says, and lessens the impact of it. And this is actually a thing he linked to, and I will also link to on the website at the9pmedic.com because I link to all the things I talk about, probably in far more detail than I need to. But this is a real thing, that people with post-traumatic stress disorder, if you, within some hours of their experience get them to play Tetris. It it helps disrupt the formation of the mental imagery that's involved in the kind of flat uh, flashbacks you get with PTSD. Uh, there's one uh, which says that it's it was used in conjunction uh, in conjunction with EMDR therapy. Now, which I've had interestingly. Now, EMDR therapy. It's controversial. According to the Wikipedia page, some people in the psychological community say "Eh, it's not really a thing. I've had it. It's interesting. So the history of EMDR, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and I hate the name. But some years back, people working with uh, Vietnam veterans and others noticed that as part of the... A hyper-vigilance that they had with uh, looking out for threats as as part of uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, that there was kind of a, a rapid flickering of the eyes. And they then did brain scans and found that's because there were kind of this pulsating pattern happening in their brains that was associated with these periods of hyper-vigilance. And... So someone came, and you can look this up for yourself, but someone came up with the idea of, well, what happens if you if you work that backwards? What if you try and stop that rapid eye movement and that rapid pulsing in the brain? Will that reduce the trauma and uh, the hypervigilance and so on? And it turns out that, I want to say yes, because it worked for me, but to be fair, maybe, and it, it's really interesting. So, so when I got it, and this is kind of pretty much how it's, it's done. You, you, your therapist learns what the things are that are causing the trauma, and and so it is. Well, you know, you describe back the experiences that caused the the, the trauma, but then as you're doing that with your eyes closed and and being <laughs> lulled into a semi-hypnotic state, and is similar to uh, uh, hypnotherapy and so on. As you start revising, reliving the experience with your eyes closed, as as the therapist notices you're starting to get that rapid eye movement, you kind of counteract that by creating a kind of left-right rhythm that breaks that pattern at a different speed slow it down and that can be something like tap your left and right hands alternatively it can be tapping your eyeballs because your eyes are deeply wide into your brain and you know all of that and until it slows down and then you bring people to the edge again of getting the trauma and pull it back now in my case, and in uh, s- uh, part of me wants to say many cases, but right? some cases, whatever, um, a single session can like break the pattern of PTSD. It did so in my case, and uh, I, I won't talk about the reasons for the trauma now. It's not. It's not relevant. Um, and and so you're then taught how to drive this yourself that if you notice you're starting to freak out and you're starting to get a a flashback or a um what's the word i'm looking for panic attack coming on that you you close your eyes and just start slowly alternately tapping your eyeballs and it works for me may it may for you it may not i don't know it's as i say the wikipedia page it's controversial. It's eh, maybe. But it is in the toolkit and I I I probably should say, eh, maybe, applies to pretty much all fucking psychology anyway, right? So, you know, ask anyone about various psychotropic drugs like antidepressants and rah, rah, rah and this, that, and that. It's all it's all made up as we go along, isn't it? But look at that. Um so anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in that uh, apparently playing tetris can help if it's part of the initial response which is weird hi i've just been in a car crash where my wife and child were killed oh good come play tetris one of the um Articles I link to is it Scientific American, which is behind a paywall. I'll mention again, 12foot.io, 12ft.io is a website that will help you um, jump over many paywalls. Not all of them. There are other browser plugins that will help you do that. Or, you know, if, if you still want to do this legit, get a membership to your local library. In New South Wales, for example, a state library membership or your local library, library card will get you online access to all manner of newspaper and magazine and article databases, and it's free. Talk to your local librarian. Librarians are cool. Now, I'm about to do the standard, take a break and do the housekeeping. But just to stop you skipping over it, I'm going to include some other content in amongst the housekeeping. So, so stay with me. I just realised that all my talk about Jewish people earlier might have been interpreted by stupid people as some sort of support for what Israel is doing at the moment. I'm making no comment either way. I, I, I just happen to be talking about a Jewish tradition. I, I'm not really talking about anything that's happening in the news currently. What a fucking mess. So, as I said earlier, uh, this is the first of a six-part spring series. I have already recorded uh, most of the next episode uh, with uh, Professor Toby Walsh, who runs the AI Institute at the University of New South Wales. Oh, he's the chief scientist there. He's got a new book out called Faking It, Artificial Intelligence in a Human World. I'm about 60% of the way through it, really enjoying it. I recorded uh, an interview with, with Toby Walsh at UNSW the other day. That episode will appear this coming Friday, the 20th of October. I think you'll, in, you'll enjoy it. If you want a, a, a taster, check out the episode I recorded with him last year, the 9pm killer robot restaurant booking with, with Toby Walsh. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I did enjoy catching up uh, with some people at the University of New South Wales um, or just seeing it, that that university has grown so hugely uh i saw a student who was probably chinese-ish or east asian of some sort who was wearing a t-shirt which said study is great work hard knowledge is money uh, I was like oh the poor bastard um <laughs> he didn't look very happy i also went past uh, uh, a seminar room a classroom where they're obviously doing some sort of exam Um, And there was a timer up on the screen. But instead of like displaying a clock, if you actually type into Google 30 minute timer, for example, it'll, it'll give you back a countdown timer. But what I loved, I mean, that was interesting. I thought they didn't, you can't just use a clock, you Google for a clock. But I also noticed when I looked that up to see whether, is that really what I'm looking at? Yes, it is. Um, the people also ask section on Google search results. Here's here's this is true. This is literally what we got. People also ask, how long is a minute timer? Now I, just, it's a minute, right? Unless they meant how long is a minute timer, like a really 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 small one, which is probably just a second or two. I don't know. Um, how long is half an hour on a timer? uh what else we got what is a countdown timer okay what is the shortest okay how uh, is half an hour 50 minutes and the next one is half an hour 60 minutes and the final one is half an hour 30 minutes Ta-da! correct answer though as we know talking about artificial intelligence it's the first one which will be right 50 minutes half an hour is 50 minutes Anyway, that's, that's, that's coming up on Friday with Toby Walsh. Uh, and then, for reasons that are not, not entirely clear, um, the platypus and I are going to uh, Hobart for... Actually, I do know. We both have a, a whole lot of loyalty points in airlines and other things that have clocked up, and we're just going to burn them off. So he and I are going to Hobart um, next week. And while there, we will record uh, a podcast episode with cartoonist and artist John Kadelka. He's been on the pod before, two years ago. Uh, The 9pm Snake Stakes and Mistakes with John Kadelka. God, I'm good at these titles. Um, But... If you're a podcast supporter with trigger words or a conversation topic to include in that conversation with John Kadilka, I'll need them by uh, tomorrow week, Monday the third, uh, Monday the twenty third of October. Sorry, at eight pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Get them to me by Monday night, um, because we're recording on the Tuesday. Uh, whatever, and that podcast will be out a week later or whatever. So please um, consider coming up, rest of the series. I haven't locked in everything yet, but I've got some ideas. Um, And I do still owe you a Public House Forum episode uh, from the previous season. Yeah, I've actually been fine. For those of you who might worry, um, I've been doing fine. Just over winter... Ugh, sleep patterns and whatever and shit just got to me. I, I'm, I'm fine. i fine. I just took a break from the podcast. But we're, we're ramping it back up. Um, and the important thing to remember here is that me being able to do these podcasts is totally down to you, dear listener, and your generosity. Because as I said, I, I only work a you know, relatively small number of hours a week for health reasons. Um, and so... Your support means I can do podcasts. So I want to say thank you now to a whole bunch of people because it's been, as I say, more than three months since the last episode. So I want to thank David Bruce, whose Edict 04 Triple Shot Annual Subscription um, renewed. O Ferguson over in New Zealand, his Edict 03 Cheeky Red Annual Subscription renewed. Joop de his Edict 02A Premium Pint Annual renewed. I don't, Why did I call them these stupid things? Anyway, David Bruce, John Ferguson, you do it. Kimberly Heitman over in Western Australia who sent a one-off um, contribution saying, this is payment for not being listed as a supporter of the snarky platypus episode. Yeah, he didn't like it much. Sorry, Kimberly. Well, look, thank you, Kimberly, uh, obviously, for your support. It is my sad duty to inform you that Snarky Platypus will be uh, back for one episode this season. Uh, we'll make that very clear up front. You can just skip that or do better. And Paris Lord, whose eating 01 flat white, annual subscription happened. And there's a couple of people who, uh, who want to remain anonymous, annual subscriptions, or a one-off one from someone who said, uh, this amount is good for one moderately priced meal in a moderate quality restaurant. And it was. So thank you to all of those people. If you would like uh, to join those people in supporting uh, this podcast and my life generally, please go to the 9 pmediccom slash tip. That is the 9pmedict.com slash tip. Uh, there's information there on how you can buy a trigger word and rah, 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 whatever. Uh, no trigger words this episode because reasons. Um, but please do that. This would be a really good month in which to do it because for various reasons, the other income has been down a bit over winter. And, uh, well, <laughs> I just want your money. the 9 pmediccom slash tip. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. In many episodes of this podcast, uh, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. Today I have three. Uh, One goes to the UK and two go to the America. So the UK won first. This is from a few weeks back. Transport for London has banned cheese advertising on the Tube, the London Underground. Yes, uh, London's transport network has been uh, cracking down on unhealthy food advertising. Uh, But apparently now uh, cheese is off the agenda. And the founder of Cheese Geek, Edward Hancock, said the ban was crazy. And he couldn't understand why fizzy drink ads were allowed on the, the Tube, but not Artisan cheeses. Apparently uh, Transport for London banned high-fat advertising in 2019. It was meant to capture fast food, but it's widened in scope to high-end cheddar. That's the news story I link to saying that. I, I, don't think, I don't think they're specifically picking on cheddar, but an elephant stamp to Transport for London for banning cheese advertising from the tube. Number two, for number two, we go to New Hampshire in the United States. And I found that this story is actually from 2016, even though uh, it only was on the socials the other day. But apparently in New Hampshire, farmers are opposing a bestiality bill against sex acts with animals. So apparently in New Hampshire, at least in 2016, uh, there was a proposed law to ban the sexual abuse of animals. Uh, and farmers are worried because they see that they might need to touch or intervene intervene with an animal for medical reasons, and, and they would be caught up in this law. Look, and I must say, having grown up a farm, on a farm, I don't know whether you've seen how artificial insemination works But, you know, the vet dons the shoulder-length rubber gloves and grabs the vial of of, of bull sperm and shoves their arm fair up the cow. Now, is that a sex act? Is it sexual abuse? You are indeed inseminating the cow. And then... (laughs) Where do you think the bull sperm comes from in the first place? Like, how do you encourage a bull to ejaculate? That's got to be the fucking soundbite, isn't it? That 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 would that would go with me too, my crass. Oh, I think it's perfectly necessary to uh, wank off a bull. And for the state of New Hampshire to interfere... oh I kind of—what accent am I doing here? I don't know. For the state of New Hampshire to interfere with farmers' God-given right to masturbate a bull is—is is <laughs> it's political correctness gone mad? Um. I, I suppose I should find out what actually happened to that law. Um, but just be aware that in the time since 2016, if you are planning on you know, masturbating livestock, sodomising a donkey, whatever it is that you, you're thinking you're doing, just, just bear that in mind. And the story I linked to quotes the Alabama watchdog which I, which I assume is a news outlet rather than a, a statutory officer. <laughs> please, meet, please meet Rex, the German shepherd, who's the Alabama watchdog. Anyway, the story does tell us that bestiality is still legal in Texas, Hawaii, Kentucky, Virginia, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, Ohio, Vermont, West Virginia, Montana, Wyoming, and the District of Columbia, as well as... New Hampshire at the type of writing in 2016. So oh District of Columbia that means Uh I shall I do a joke about Joe Biden and his dog? No, you can you can fill that one in. Um uh, I'm not sure whether to give the elephant stamp to the the legislators of New Hampshire or the farmers of New Hampshire. Um, but getting deep into the conversation about what actually constitutes a sex act with an animal. And the third elephant stamp goes to Naomi Wolf, who uh, some time ago, a few weeks back, tweeted or ex whatever we say tweets are now, the following. Over 60 women whom I know get menstrual type cramps when they are just seated next to a vaccinated woman for an hour or so, i.e. at a lecture or play, or when they stay in hotels where vaccinated women have slept. Yes, this is the enormous bullshit from anti-vaxxers that somehow vaccinated people shed particles which then cause medical problems to people apparently just sitting next to them at a play or just staying at the same hotel. Just quietly, Naomi. If these women are over 60, it ain't menstrual cramps. Sorry, ladies. Anyway, Dr Naomi Wolf, she's full of it and an elephant stamp to her. okay let's wrap this up let's get out of here uh two quick things about science or about technology at least one's technology and one's science i i did say that me getting my gold opal card and now my i uh, will get the seniors card fucking hell i'm um, Having problems with this anyway. Uh, that that has caused the usual problems because, of course, I have a mononym. The name Stilgarian is a single given name. I have no surname. A mononym is far more common than people realise. There's somewhere around fourteen thousand people in Australia with a mononym, um, and systems can't cope with that. So I've had problems getting that. In that to get the Opal card, I actually had to say. I do have a senior's card, I haven't received the card yet, but when it comes, here's the number. And my name is not Stilgerian, but I have to say Stilgerian is a given name and then NA for not applicable as a surname, because that's how they code it to get my New South Wales photo ID card, or presumably a driver's license. They're meant to be equivalent, except they're not because driver's licenses can be used for id but photo card can't even though the whole point of a photo card is to be id if you if you're not a car driver just anyway that i i don't know the card hasn't arrived i think it's all broken doesn't matter i've got an opal card (sighs) australia's national digital id laws are kind of starting to roll out now we're going to get uh, no i won't i won't go down that rabbit hole that's technology let's move to science a better kind of science i just want to say that tomorrow kicking off from monday the 16th of october 2023 is the aussie bird count it's national bird week aussie bird count is a fantastic bit of citizen science that happens every year Go to aussiebirdcount.org.au on the internets, aussiebirdcount.org.au. Download the app, or if you don't have a smartphone, how are you listening to this? Uh, or on the website. You can do it just once. Take out 20 minutes from your day, sit down somewhere, anywhere will do. And just take note of the birds you can see during that 20-minute period. It's it's really important science. I'll be doing it multiple times next week because I really do enjoy it in a number of places. Aussiebirdcount.org.au Yeah, I'm out of here now. Yes, that's the edict for now, obviously. All the links are at the9pmedict.com. Please like, subscribe, and send Buddy the 9 p.m. slash tip. That would be really helpful right now. The next episode's coming out on Friday with Toby Walsh. Until then, I'm still Gerrion. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a skank media production. Sorry.